You're listening to Ottawa's Baseball Show. It's Around the Diamond with Diamond Dante and Mike Nellis on CKDJ 107.9, home of the Ottawa Champions. Welcome to the October 22nd edition of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. I am Diamond Dante and very happy to be joined in studio with my co-host, Corey the mess, the man, <laughs> the voice himself, Corey Mess, joins us back here in studio. And Corey, welcome back. Honestly, a pleasure to have you. Really excited to to have you back in the studio. So it's, uh, it's wonderful to be back here, Dante. I'm really excited. We got a, a a great show. A couple of really good guests lined up, and some playoff baseball talk, Dante. Really excited about some of the guests, and that's why I'm gonna tee up the show for you just to start things off. Of course, on this beautiful Saturday uh, evening here at CKDJ 107.9. Uh, coming up in our next segment, we're going to be joined with uh, Claude Pelche, who is the head scout for the New York Mets uh, here in Can- Canada. He only drafts players from Canada. Uh, one of his biggest signings going back to Eric Gagne, uh, who won a Cy Young in 2003 with the Dodgers, was an excellent closer, had you know one of the best save streaks in, in history. And then you know he also signed a guy in Jonathan Malot, who plays for the Quebec Capitals. He's going to join us. Uh, after Claude Pecci, we have you know two great you know half an hour interviews with both of them uh, talking about their careers and and we couldn't even touch uh, everything that Claude had wanted to say with us because there was you know so much to talk about and we're going to bring him on in the future. We didn't even mention the the fact that he was a big part of the Dodgers drafting Russell Martin, uh, I, I had who's, no clue. who's still relevant in baseball. So uh, uh, definitely we'll have to talk to him again. But it's a it's a really great interview we have with both of those guys. Both those guys, excellent people, really nice guys to talk to. Had an excellent time talking to them. But, uh, of course, just to intro things, just to go things off, we're going to get uh, put aside some of the local news uh, here in Ottawa. Daniel Cordero, all-star pitcher, uh, re-signed with the Ottawa champions for one more year. Hashtag, or a.k.a. Uh, my roommate and big brother, <laughs> uh, Daniel Cordero. Now, folks, Cordero, uh, pitcher for the Ottawa champions. Uh, I've been trying to get him here in studio, but he's been uh, working away. And uh, he actually does live with me. We are roommates, I guess you could say, or brothers. Uh, we live in the same house and uh, a really nice guy to hang around with. But, an, but let's go to his, uh, his season with the champions and definitely a guy that they wanted to, to get signed right, right away and lock him up. Just a great signing for the Ottawa champions. And, you know, he, he's going to come into the rotation next year, be a top-of-the-rotation guy for the Ottawa champions. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, led the league in, in wins this season um, uh, for a long portion of the season, led the league in strikeouts, ended up top 10 in the league in that category, a very good pitcher. And the biggest thing with him is he loves the city of Ottawa. He's the only player from the Ottawa champions um, who, who's actually living in the city of Ottawa well, right now. Oh, he, he lives in Gatineau, though. That's, right. that's where it comes from. He's Coker. The, he's the only guy. And and Jason Coker, who, was, uh, uh, who spent a lot of the year on the IR, but he He's the only regular player for the champions this year who's actually still in the city. And he loves this city, even though he came from Venezuela. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think he's a little enamored by things here. I, I'm, of course, he's enamored living with you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you know, he's he's the kind of guy who you want to build your team around. And Really nice um, guy. And and absolutely. And so I'm, I'm excited to see him again next year. Really nice guy in Cordero. Had excellent numbers with an all-star. So... Got that. Uh, Cordero signing with the Ottawa Champions. We have such a packed show that we're just trying to jam so much into this opening segment that uh, we're, we're going to be joined 
uh, with Claude Pelletier of the Mets and uh, Jonathan Malo of the uh, Quebec Capitals played for Team Canada at the World Baseball Classic as well. But uh, MLB playoffs uh, are just about finishing up. We're going into the World Series. The Dodgers and Cubs are going at it. But well, let's recap the last series. It was the Indians and the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, people have been saying that, you know, it was the Indians' bullpen. It was Andrew Miller who won the MVP of the ALCS. People were saying that, well, this now we know how to win. We'll just you just bank on your bullpen the rest of the season. Well, no, you can't do that. You really can't. Well, and no, and I mean not like the that, way they did. It's, but it's easier said than done as well, yeah. right? Like I think for five years we've been saying the Blue Jays need a better bullpen. Well, but. no, I mean with the Indians, you know, in the regular season, in terms of winning, like teams need to build a huge bullpen like the Indians did in order to win. Well, and I think that when you look at the success the Kansas City Royals had last year with their bullpen, it, it is. I, I mean, especially in the playoffs when starters don't seem to start as long. Yeah. Um, when you, you can't seem to get as much out of them because you're either saving them for three days rest or or whatnot, uh, managers are a lot quicker to pull the trigger on their starters. Well, the and Cubs so, don't have to. And, and, so, and so you need to have that solid bullpen. But even the Cubs, they still have those three relievers well, that they're going to roll always. John Lester last night, seven innings, or the other night. Yeah, but it, I, I think that's a different situation. And if the Cubs are up, uh, if the Cubs don't have... Have such a big lead in that game. I don't think that they uh, that they they leave John Lester in for as long because they know they can maybe get something out of him early, either in the next series or maybe a relief appearance from him in Game Seven. But um, uh, and and by the way, we are going to see a Game Seven in that uh, in that. I think so. Kershaw's up. Yeah, Kershaw will pitch tonight in um, uh, in. In Chicago, um, a very very tough task, but he's been on the money in this playoffs, and so I do think the Dodgers uh, are able to get a win in that game. And I think a big thing for the Dodgers, their three runs that they scored in the uh, in the ninth inning of uh, of the game uh, of game right, five, did, even yeah. though they weren't able to get the win, I think that gives them a little bit of momentum. The bats aren't totally dead. And uh, and so you go into Game Six where they need a win, and I think they'll be able to get it. And then it comes down to a Game Seven, and who knows? Well, I'm really I, I really love what Clayton, Clayton Kershaw said about you know Liam Hendricks, not 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 Liam Hendricks, Kyle Hendricks, the, yeah. the starter for the Cubs, saying he is the Greg Maddox of this era, an ERA under two this year for a guy that touches not even touches ninety. Easily, easily the most underrated pitcher um, this season in Major League Baseball. I oh yeah, I don't even think there's a doubt about it. Um, uh, even though he doesn't really throw above 90 his sinker is dangerous he, he's got some really good pitches. ball change up absolutely and um and, and so good location and really the cubs are at least four starters deep and that's really impressive well that that's the thing with the cubs you know you look at the indians if they had salazar and, uh, and you know they i don't think they'd be using their their bullpen like that the indians because you know salazar and carrasco I mean, if, are, if you are got them if the you line. got them you're going to use them though well, you're telling me, you know, Brian Shaw is a good reliever, but Jesus Christ, did we ever see him perform like that? No. I, but I, I think his performance during the regular season, he had the most appearance for any Indians reliever. So I wouldn't have been surprised. I'm, 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 I wasn't that surprised to see him pitch. Oh, no, he's he has excellent color. His, his cutter is at 95, 96, right? So, I mean, there's something, something to mention there. But, I mean, just looking at the way the Indians kind of threw things down with their bullpen was kind of saying, well, I mean, you can't just win like this, but it was the Jays that just couldn't hit those guys. It was, you know, Corey Kluber. Jays couldn't really hit anyone, though. Even, even in game uh, in game five, you have a rookie starter on the mound, and Jays couldn't get to him. And, you know, they, they, Lefty hit, too. they hit a lot better. But the big thing is that unlike the Texas Rangers, who, uh, who weren't 
didn't seem weren't intimidated by the Jays. They they kind of tried to pitch to themselves, but it didn't work. Whereas the entire series against the Indians, they pitched the Jays away, it's and not the like Jays when, were so uncomfortable. Well, the when entire the Jays played off against played off against the Rangers, it's not it's not like Corey they were they're facing off against you know some you know two buck two or or some you know Mike. Yeah, but Texas Texas, I, I don't think Darvish was Wilson. I'd use them any day of the week. But uh, but they were pitching the Jays where the Jays are. Sorry, Hamels. They were pitching the Jays where they wanted to be pitched. They pitched them a lot on the inside of the plate. They weren't scared off, but that was a problem. You should be scared of the Jays' lineup. And the Cleveland Indians came into the series. They were much more cautious. You barely saw any pitches over the plate. If you're Andrew Miller, you're throwing inside. But, But at the same time, even he... Was throwing a lot on the outside of the plate. Yeah, it just you used that slider lot, to the knees, right? Didn't see a lot of high fastball. Didn't see a lot of inside fastball from the Indians. No, but a lot of inside sliders. The Jays, when you, you pitch them outside, they are not comfortable. No, but and I mean, but Miller was was going inside with the slider, and the guys were just swinging right under not, it. Not not particularly though. He was sneaking in the backdoor slider a oh, lot yeah. more than you usually see from him. Yeah, he changed it up sometimes, but I don't. I really don't think that the Cleveland Indians wanted anything to do on the inside of the plate against you. Well, there you have it. What a what a what a moment there, Corey. Uh, talking playoff baseball. A little bit of predictions before we wrap up this segment. So, who do you think? Uh, call it now: Cubs or Dodgers in the World Series final against the Indians? The Dodgers. I don't like the Cubs. They took down my Giants. I'm pissed. I'm, yeah, but you're pissed because they're the better team. Well, I mean, Corey, I, I bought a, a Giants t-shirt that came in the other day. Uh, that, the playoffs t-shirt. Did late, you see that picture on Twitter? Late. Wish that shipping would have been a little quicker. Oh, two <laughs> weeks late, eh? Oh, I'm having beef, buddy. I'm pissed. <laughs> I'm a Giants guy too, but I know, you know you are, sometimes yeah. sometimes you just face a better Mad team. Mad bum, baby. Sometimes you just face a better team, and the Cubs are, are pretty good, and I'll go with them in the World Series against the Cleveland Indians. Two hopeless sports towns, two hopeless franchises in the World Series against one another. Well, don't remember the last time the Dodgers were in the World Series, so there you go. 1988? Yeah, but, I mean, they're not as hopeless as no. the Indians, nor the— Kirk although, Gibson, baby! Although we, we did see a mid-'90s Indians appearance, but now it, it seems like everything's coming up Cleveland. Cavaliers win a— a NBA against title Toronto. and maybe uh, yeah and they win in the Eastern Conference mm. against Toronto and then they do the same thing in baseball so maybe it is the the year for Believe Land. Well there you have it that's uh, wrapping up uh, this first segment a little bit of champions talk and a little bit of Major League Baseball talks boy we could talk for a full hour but uh, so much more still to come in the show as Claude Pelletier, the uh, head scout for the New York Mets of Canada, will join us in our next segment for a, a, a lengthy talk, two segments. Then Malo will join us for another two segments uh, to talk about his career playing for Team Canada uh, and to wrap things up, of course. So overall, good good show planned for you. Stay tuned. Coming up next, we'll be joined with Claude Pelletier of the New York Mets head scout here on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. Before, we were talking MLB playoffs with my co-host, Corey Mest. Now, we are very happy to be joined with Mets scout Claude Pelche. Claude is the head scout of Canada for the New York Mets system and is also uh, his biggest move came back in 1995 where he signed Eric Gagne with the L.A. Dodgers. Claude, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. 
And so I wanted to start things off by asking you about how you got into scouting. Of course, you had mentioned to me before when we had met at the Champions Stadium uh, about how you, you, know, you were just traveling around watching spring training. I mean, was there anything on your resume at that point when you had been approached by the Dodgers to go into scouting? And what made you uh, the biggest candidate when they had introduced the draft to Canada? Well, actually, how it happened is that, uh, you know, many, many years ago growing up, I was a Brooklyn Dodger fan. I mean, uh, living in Montreal, uh, you know, with the Montreal Royals being the top AAA farm team of the Brooklyn Dodgers, I I was able to see some games and I kind of got into it and they were always my uh, favorite team. And, of course, I start uh, hanging out in Vero Beach where the... L.A. Dodgers at their spring training at Dodgertown, and uh, I, I met uh, some of the people working in the organization, uh, especially Ron Paranowski, who was then the pitching coach, and, uh, you know, we kind of sat down and talked, and uh, he mentioned that seeing that I was traveling across the country and they had nobody working for them in Canada, Maybe I should meet their scouting director and see what could work out. So uh, he introduced me to, uh, at, at that time, Ben Wade was the scouting director. For, and we got talking, and I explained to him my situation. And he thought it was kind of interesting. And uh, he uh, referred me to uh, a fellow by the name of Dick Teague, who lived in uh, Windsor, Connecticut, Uh Dick played for the Montreal Royals. He was then the uh, area supervisor or cross-checker, whatever you call him. So I was working under him. And, uh, you know, we kind of hit it off. And uh, I started scouting the junior league in Montreal. And uh, we signed one kid out of that junior league, uh, Mark Griffin. And then the doors, uh, you know, the doors kind of opened up. And then uh, we just took it over from there. Now, Claude, you mentioned the doors had opened at that point. Was there anything that you had done before playing, coaching, that had a, a a bigger impact than just having a talk with the pitching coach? Well, I mean, I played a little bit. I mean, I'm originally from uh, Noranda, Quebec, and uh, I had played over there. I kind of uh, managed a team, you know. And uh, But as far as me uh, being a player, I mean... Uh, Forget it. I never was drafted or <laughs> never never was offered a contract or anything like that. But I knew about the game. And uh, talking with the scouting director, he realized that I did know about the game. And uh, as far as their requirements for a scout, I had absolutely no idea. Do they tell you who they're looking for? Or do you go out and you just scout and you report on the players that you see so basically what they told me is when you're at spring training i want you to go and see the games and talk to the minor league coaches and ask questions and that was my training Mm. well there you go that's head scout of the mets claude pelche here with us on around the diamond now i want to ask you about your biggest signing the only guy that you had ever signed in your career to ever make the major leagues that was in 1995 with the los angeles dodgers uh, it didn't seem as easy as you know some of the listeners and people out there would think in signing uh, such a, a big talent in Eric Gagne, you know, plus fastball with an excellent changeup. What was the difference between Gagne and the other guys out there from Canada that made him such a terrific pitcher in the major leagues enough for you to go out and sign them? And what had happened in that situation to convince management to go out and sign Gagne from Canada? Well, I 
had seen Eric pitch as a, when he, as a 15, 16-year-old in the mid-triple-A league in Montreal. And he was always, you know, a bigger kid, you know, bigger than the rest of the kids. And he always threw harder than everybody else. And, uh, uh, you know, then he started to play in the junior league, and it was the same thing. I mean, he had a lot of... A lot of guts. I mean, he challenged the hitters. I mean, there was no way he was going to give in to them. And that was, you know, a plus makeup as far as I'm concerned for a, for a pitcher. And then the, the Chicago White Sox drafted him in 1994. And uh, he never heard from them after that. Then he disappeared. He went to Seminole, Oklahoma to go to school. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he came back from there, and he was bypassing the draft by the 30 organization. So, you know, you kind of wonder what was going on. And then uh, I just so happened I go to a game on a Sunday afternoon, and he's pitching for his junior team. And I really liked what I saw. And having stayed behind in Vero Beach and watching the extended spring training, You know, I said to myself, I said, you know, we've got some guys in Canada that are just as good, if not better, than a lot of those guys that are here. So I said, when I get back home, I'm going to take a chance and call the scouting director, who was at the time uh, Terry Reynolds, and I'm going to tell him what I saw and that I would like to sign this guy. So you can imagine when I told him that, uh, after having been passed by 30 teams, he said, why do you want to sign this guy? Well, I said, I like what I see, and uh, anyhow, after five or six minutes of conversation, I knew I wasn't getting anywhere with Terry, so I basically stuck my neck out and said, look, can I get a second opinion? He said, of course you can get a second opinion. And Eric was with the senior team. They were traveling in western Canada, and I had a range that he pitched in Calgary, And I got Eddie Bain, who was then one of the Dodgers national cross-checkers, to come in to Calgary and to see him pitch. And, you know, he saw him pitch a couple of innings, and he called me at 3 o'clock in the morning. He said, you better get your rear end over here and sign this guy before people start moving in. So basically, uh, Eric and I had shook hands, agreed on something if if the Dodgers, you know, wanted him, and uh, we did want him, and uh, he stuck with us, and he signed the contract. Now, Claude, I want to ask you, at that point, did the Dodgers kind of come to you and say, hey, thanks for, for signing Gagne, because he was such a terrific piece to their organization, won a Cy Young in the process? Well, I mean, mind you, um, it, it took, uh, you know, it took a few years. After his first year, he had a great season, and, uh, you know, They were quite satisfied with his performance, and he graduated. He went to Vero Beach Dodgers, the Florida State League, which is a strong A-league. And this is when, uh, you know, he got his Tommy John operation. So everything was set back for a year, but he came back stronger. And then he hit double A, and he won the pitcher of the year in the Texas League, and then he had a bit of a he had a cup of coffee in AAA and they brought him right up to the major league so i mean you know it it took four or five years before you start you know uh, before the dodgers realized that this this guy was pretty good so uh, yeah i mean 
when I when I left uh, the Dodgers uh, in '99, I, I received a nice letter from uh, the owner of the Dodgers, Peter O'Malley, uh, congratulating me and wishing that he had that we had met before and talked more because you know he knew me, I knew him, but I mean that was about it, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, I mean the Dodgers were quite pleased with uh, with that sign, and so was I. <laughs> uh, again, Claude Pelche, thank you very much for joining us, the uh, the head Canadian scout for the New York Mets. And Claude, I have a question for you. I, I'm interested to to hear. Uh, you know, w- when you watch baseball, uh, Cuban players have a certain flair, uh, um, Dominican players have a certain flair. Is there something unique about how a a Canadian player plays baseball? Well, you know. You- you look at the uh, Latin American players, all the Latin players, they they play this game, they're having fun. You have to remember they play it every day. That's all they have to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they play the game with, with rhythm. I mean, their, their bodies are loose. Uh, everything they do, whether they run, whether they swing the bat, whether they feel, everything is so loosey-goosey. I mean, you know, it makes... They're athletes, and it makes it look easy for them. While our Canadian kids will always be a little, uh, you know, uh, slow to develop because they don't play that much. And uh, this is why you see with the Canadian Baseball Junior Program, uh, the kids go to Florida and go to Latin America. They play a lot of games, and you can see the kids really developing because they're playing against better competition. So we're getting there. Now, do you do you think uh, you mentioned how important that is? So, in the in the winter and and even now in the fall, when things get a little a little colder, what um, uh, what do you basically do? Do you go to a lot of batting cages, or are you? Uh, uh, is it uh, basically what is your job during the winter when it's a little hard to play baseball outside? Well, actually, you know, there's always something to do. Okay, sure. I mean, uh, sure. you're checking your bios to make sure you've got the proper uh, names and all the information. Then you would check on your follows that you've written during the summer, your summer follows, to make sure that your grading system is okay. And if you have to change it and all that, you do. Uh, you you send out. Um, questionnaires to all the players that you're interested in and uh, you fill that in your bios and also your follows see if the kid has an agent if he you know uh, which school is he committed to in the states or does he want to sign a pro contract and then uh, you know there's always something to do there's meetings in the, in uh, St. Peter in Port St. Lucie in, in January for about 4 days and uh, there's a lot of in-house visits. I like to uh, go and visit uh, the parents at their home and with the young man there and talk about baseball, you know, telling them what the New York Mets has to offer to their son and uh, also trying to find out information as far as does he want to go to school or does he want to sign a pro contract. I think right now for a scout, signability has got to be the hardest thing going
Okay, so that's Claude Peltier, head scout of Mets for Canada here on Around the Diamond. And I want to ask you, I want to move over to, uh, you had talked about, you know, what you do in the offseason and uh, and stuff with the Mets. I want to ask you about the winter meetings. Now, do you go and attend the winter meetings with the New York Mets? Oh, definitely. So, oh, yeah. So, Claude, what is your what is your job? What is your task when you go to the winter meetings? Do you, you know, maybe shop around some players or do you talk to them about what talent the Mets have in the organization? Well, first of all, all the scouts are there, and uh, we talk about our players. I mean, uh, my follow is up to date by then. Uh, my follow list, I mean, and the players are all graded according to our grading system and uh, the group we put in. Uh, the group uh, decides what you know draft round they should go or might go or never go. You, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen in the draft. And we talk about that, and they compare players. They'll compare, say, one of my uh, group two players with a group two player in uh, in California or Arizona. And, you know, I don't see the players out there, and they don't see my players. But that's why you have national cross-checkers that see all the players. And the national cross-checkers, of course, will have the last word. If they're going to see, yeah, Pelsey's player is better than Joe Blow in California or vice versa. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's uh, it makes for long days, believe me. Now, Claude, I'm I'm really interested to hear about just your method of uh, evaluating guys, and you you know you talked about the the questionnaires you sent out and signability. So, what kind of percentages are we talking about when you're looking at a guy that you maybe uh, uh, rank players with? For example, like like you said, those intangibles, but also numbers you see on paper, how fast they are, things like that. Or then just what you're seeing from like an eye test standpoint and, and how you kind of view guys when they're actually playing the game. What what kind of percentages maybe do you give to those? Oh, my God. You know what? Um, my bio is I probably have about 50 players like that I write bios on just about every year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'll write up follow reports on those 50 bio players, I might write 30 reports. And the majority of those kids belong are with Team Canada, okay? Okay. Because I get to see them more often. I mean, I see mm-hmm. them four times a year in Florida, well, not only in Florida, but all over the place. So, you you know, you get a, you get a feel for each player at each position. And, you know, as you know, in the draft, uh, the draft comes, I mean, I might have 15 players left on my list. When I go to the June draft and we talk about these 15 guys and uh, we don't know if we're going to get them or not, uh, but the percentage, you know, uh, (laughs) I mean, if I get one guy a year, two guys a year in the draft, I mean, you know, you're talking maybe 10 to 15 percent. But I think, you know, every every organization is the same thing. I mean, you you have to remember that. There's only one team that really gets the player they really want, and that's the team who picks first in the draft. And a lot of time they'll pick the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it makes it it's complicated, believe me. 
Um, now, talk about how um, the the kind of new era advanced stats and sabermetrics have changed your job. Is that something you pay attention to uh, a lot, um, uh, just kind of seeing different numbers on guys? I know, especially for guys who are in smaller leagues, things like that, it might be harder just to see those numbers. But uh, uh, do you do you pay attention to that a lot? Well, you don't have any choice yeah. <laughs> because everybody has it, and they're starting it in football. One of our assistant GM, Paul Di Podesta, left the Mets to go with the Cleveland Browns in the mm-hmm. football to establish the same program. Now, it's there, and it's going to stay there. Me, personally, uh, I really don't understand it. I don't pay that much attention to it, but believe me, they do. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> If well, there you go. To, if they have to choose one player over the other, this is when it gets pretty tricky. You know, all the at bats versus left-handed pitching and right-hand pitching on base percentage. Like I say, uh, they they look at that very much. Well, there you go. That's Matt's head scout of Canada, Claude Peltier, here with us on Around the Diamond. Now, of course, in our next segment, uh, we're going to be bringing on Jonathan Malo. Um, in your career, according to Baseball Cube, he was the second player that you ever had signed. Uh, of course, out of Canada, he from Quebec, of course, as, as yourself, you're from Montreal. Um, when you had signed him, of course, now he's playing in the Can-Am League, but, you know, he had a really good career in the minor league system with the Mets, you know, second baseman, shortstop, third baseman, infielder, played as high as AAA. When you had signed him, um, I mean, what kind of a player was he at that time? Did you feel that he had, you know, a really good chance to go to the major leagues? Because he had a lot of good chances. I mean, I believe he was a 40-man roster guy as well with the Mets. Yes, he was. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Jonathan, I mean, great kid. I mean, I was very much involved in signing him, but uh, uh, Larry Chase, who was our scout in Oklahoma, was the one who did all the paperwork because uh, Jonathan left uh, Quebec to go to school in the States. So automatically, the scout who covers that area is the one who takes over. But our our reports were very much the same, and uh, uh, I mean, I remember our scout down there, Larry Chase, says, you know what, he says, I wish I could adopt that kid. <laughs> but uh, Joe was uh, just a great utility guy. Um, one of the biggest successes in Canadian baseball of late is Cal Quantrill. Um, uh, of course, unbelievable pedigree for Cal Quantrill, the son of Paul Quantrill, former Toronto Blue Jays pitcher. Um, he got drafted by the Yankees a couple of years ago, decided not to join them. Um, yeah. And then he then he had Tommy John surgery, but was still a first round pick. What have um, uh, have you had a chance to see Cal Quantrill? And if so, um, uh, what have been your thoughts of, of him? Yeah, I, I, I knew Cal. I knew his dad, Paul. Uh, because he played in the Dodger organization with Eric Gagne, so I got to ah. you know to know him pretty well, and uh, yeah, I saw Cal pitch uh, many times, and uh, as a matter of fact, as the year of his eligibility, uh, my scouting director phoned uh, Paul, and uh, we we offered a uh, hundred uh, million dollars to Cal to sign uh, with the Mets. And uh, Paul said, well, I think uh, he wants to go to school. Cal wanted to be a first round, okay? Sure. It wasn't so much the money as much, well, the money, of course, but I mean, he wanted to be a first round draft choice. And now he's got his education, and Paul and his wife both went to university, so 
You know, they were pushing for cows, especially the mother was pushing for cows to get an education. And and everything worked out for him. I mean, he's got his education. He went in the first round, and he got a pretty uh, good truckload of money. <laughs> yeah, not uh, not too bad as an eighth overall pick for the uh, for the San Diego Padres. <laughs> so that's right. Claude Pelche here with us on Around the Diamond. Now, I wanted to ask you about the Team Canada's upcoming World Baseball Classic. They're going to be participating in it. Uh, it looks like they're going to have you know quite a few you know good players on that team. Now, you had told me in the past that. Uh, Baseball Canada had asked for your assistant in picking some guys, maybe out of other leagues and out of, you know, maybe some independent leagues. I mean, how does the team look at this point before the roster, you know, being released and everything? And could we see maybe a guy like a Russell Martin and, and guys like Brett Laurie, Adam Lowen, even Justin Morneau come and play for the team? Well, I mean, I mean, you know, you have to. Uh, I, mean, I mean, as far as Team Canada, they, they, they do a pretty good job of picking their own team. Of course, uh, you know, uh, if I see somebody that I think is going to be helpful to them, I will pass on the information. But, I mean, uh, I don't push it. I mean, they decide. I'm basically just alerting them that I think this guy, like, for example, what we saw with Eric Gagne in Ottawa that when I was there. Uh, you know, I had a long talk with Greg Hamilton, and I, I basically told him, I says, I don't know if you can afford not to have him on your team with the performance uh, he showed in Ottawa. Huh, really? And, uh, uh, you know, it all depends. Are the guys are they going to be healthy uh, to play in that World Baseball Classic? Uh, are <laughs> they going to want to go? Is Russell Martin going to want to play shortstop or be behind the plate? <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, these are all uh, question marks that, uh, uh, that the coaching staff will have to put together. And, see who is available. I mean, if a guy's playing at the major league level, I think his chances of being on the Canadian team are pretty pretty high. So so what you're saying is that, I mean, back to what you had said before, is that Eric Gagne has a good chance at age 40-plus to go play for Team Canada. <laughs> Why not? Well, I, I mean, I'm not too sure. Did he play in 06? He was, right? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, so this could be his first chance, so even better. There you go. Um, yeah, I mean, hey, listen, I don't know. I don't see the rosters, and they don't. I don't know any more than you do. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I, I mean, the, when I talked to Greg Hamilton, he said, uh, I was reading in the, in the newspaper the day after the game we saw in Ottawa. He says, I was reading in the paper what he did. I said, well, that's exactly what he did, Greg. So I said... <laughs> It's up to you to make up your mind. <laughs> well, you saw it with his, with your very own eyes, uh, eyes uh, Claude. It was Gagne, what ninety five at that point. Well, he, I mean, he was, uh, he, you know, he was ninety four, but he uh, he was comfortable, you know, ninety two, ninety three. I mean, he had a. Uh, be honest with you, his curveball when I saw him in Ottawa was better than when he was playing Major League Baseball. Woo! Because I I remember him. He never really had a great curveball. Whenever he'd start a game as a starter, he he test his curveball in the first inning, and if if he couldn't spin it, he'd just put it out of his repertoire and he'd go with the slider. Okay. But other games that he started, he'd go at the curveball the first inning, and if he saw that he it was spinning that day, he'd use it throughout the game. And uh, I'll tell you, I asked him, I said, what, where the hell did you get that curveball? Oh, he says, I got a new grip. I said, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, he's never had a curveball that was 
spinning and dipping the way it did in Ottawa. I mean, I, I was I was shocked when I saw that. I mean, it, it was almost unbelievable. You know, we're talking about somebody who's 40 years old. You have yeah. to remember, Bartolo Colon is going to be 44, and he's still oh. doing a pretty good job at the Major League. Well, and and I mean, you've you've seen twenty plus years of Canadian baseball. Um, maybe maybe besides Eric Gagne, it doesn't have to be someone you signed with the Mets. But who's just the the guy who the first time you saw him just blew you away? You were like, uh, oh, this Adam guy's going to be something special, really? Eh? Adam Lowen, that's interesting. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the kid was sixteen years old from the left. He was throwing ninety four, ninety five. You know, a kid was six four, six five. Unbelievable. That's really cool. Adam Lowen, yeah. eh? So my yeah. my final question to you, because you know we're running short on time here, is of course with Adam Lowen. I mean, what had happened with his career from just you know an outsider standpoint? He had went from a pitcher to a hitter, now back to a pitcher, and then made it major league debuted in September with the Diamondbacks. I mean, you know, it's uh, it just goes to show you the kid how good of an athlete he was. You know, I mean, there's a guy that, uh, you know, his pitching arm goes on him, and all of a sudden he decides to go in as a, an outfielder and a hitter, doing a pretty good job, and now he's back uh, He's back pitching. So, you know, I mean, today with the medicine we have, I mean, they can fix a guy pretty good, you know, mm-hmm. quickly also. Well, there you go. Claude Pelche, so much to talk about still, so much to go through. Maybe we'll touch base with you once again. Appreciate you taking the time out of your day, and best of luck going into the winter meetings. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate your your time and my time with you. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us, Claude. We really appreciate it. All right. Take care. That was Claude Pelche, head scout of the Dodgers for the Canada region, just joining us here on Around the Diamond. Now, stay tuned, folks. We will be joined with one of his draftees that was... Jonathan Malo coming up next on Around the Diamond. He's going to come on to talk about his career. He played AAA with the Mets, currently played for the Quebec Capitals and the Can-Am League, is from Canada, and also played for Team Canada at the World Baseball Classic. That's all coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. Before, we were talking with Mets head scout Claude Pouche. Now we are joined on the phone with Jonathan Malo, who is the shortstop for the Quebec Capitals, but played in AAA with the New York Mets, also played uh, for Team Canada at the World Baseball Classic. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hi. Now, I wanted to start off with the beginning of your career where you were uh, signed by Claude Pelche. He had talked about it in the last segment about how he had gone out and found you. He said, you know, you were a guy that could play any position on the diamond and, you know, had, you know, good success in the minor leagues with the New York Mets. Uh, how was your relationship with Claude it, going down the road and it ended up getting signed at that point? Oh, I, I've known Claude for, for a while now. And, uh, yeah, he uh, started, you know, coming to our games when I was about a. Uh, I want to say 15 or 16 years old here in Quebec, and uh, he's always been really nice to me. Uh, and he, you know, it, it was nice to have him uh, around after you know he, he was he, he's known uh, for signing Eric Gagne, and uh, he also drafted uh, Russell Martin. And uh, so you know he, he was he was a well-known scout here in uh, in Quebec, 
and uh but yeah we had a great relationship very nice uh, nice guy and he, he followed us he gave us uh he, he stayed around a little bit during uh while, while we came up in the minor league system i say we because we had a, a few quebecers that he uh that he signed at that time so uh it was a it was, it was very good to have him around a very good person so jonathan i wanted to ask you you had you know, been drafted twice by the Mets. You were drafted in the 40th round in yep. 2002 and then were drafted again uh, in 2003. Did Claude kind of pick you up both times? Uh, yeah, the first time was uh, I was actually at the uh, the ABC, the academy here in uh, in Montreal. And then uh, after that, I went to Miami-Dade Community College, which uh, it was it was Joe Salerno that was there at the time. But Claude always uh, kept in touch with him and with us. So uh, it was at the, the, the draft and follow times. So they, I got a chance to sign with them uh, after the second time I got drafted out of Miami-Dade. But, uh, yeah, so he was, he was always around. I, I saw him every summer. He would come to the games. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was Joe Salermo that, uh, I guess, redrafted me when I was at Miami-Dade. Okay, so you know your good friend Sebastian Boucher had also, also went to school in, in Miami. Did you guys know each other then as well? Uh, no, uh, yeah, he went to uh, Bethune Cookham, I think. Okay. And he, uh, no, the first time I met Sebastian was when I I played in Double A, and uh, he was uh, with the Orioles in Bowie. That was the first time I met him, uh, and then I, b- before I played with him here in, uh, in Quebec City, I didn't know him. Uh, he he grew up more playing in Ottawa, so uh, we played in different leagues uh, growing up. And he's uh, he's co- a couple years older than me, I think, too. Uh, Jonathan Mello joining us here on uh, Around the Diamond, the shortstop for the Quebec Capitals. Talk about that uh, that experience for you, Jonathan, um, being a, a French-Canadian player going down to uh, Miami-Dade Community College and, and playing there for a year. Um, was it the kind of thing where your, your eyes were wide open, you were seeing a, a lot of new stuff, or, or was it you know just back to business playing baseball for you? Uh, it was it was a big culture shock because uh, at the time I, I spoke uh, I spoke English but not the way I speak now so <laughs> that was just uh, the language barrier at the start was uh, a little rough and then also Miami means uh, Spanish also so it was mm. there was literally like three or four guys on the team that did not speak Spanish so uh, everything was in English but at the same time it was uh, it was a big culture shock uh, I. Uh, I lived with uh, with a Dominican, a Venezuelan, and another guy from Quebec with me. So uh, it, was, it was a lot of changes, but at the same time, when you step on the baseball field, you know it's uh, it's, a, it's a baseball game. It's the same. Uh, it's played the same way, or almost the same way, everywhere in the world. Well, and, and talk about that decision. Uh, uh, you get drafted, but instead you decide to go to college in the States. Was that from a standpoint of you maybe wanting to develop a bit more? Did you uh, want to pursue an education at that point? Where did that decision come from? It was a little bit of both, but uh, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I didn't see myself ready uh, at the time. I was, I, I was never a big guy, but I was very small at the time. So I, I thought maybe given a couple years in the, in the, the junior college uh, conference in Florida there probably would give me a little boost to maybe start uh, on a better foot uh, my my professional career because uh, you know going from uh, the, the junior leagues here in Quebec straight to the minor leagues it would be a, a very big step so I thought it was a it was a good uh, opportunity for me to go to the junior college at least and uh, see what happens after that then I, I transferred to Miami. Uh, Miami, Oklahoma, in uh, the, the the northeastern Oklahoma uh, 
junior college okay. and then uh i signed after that year so okay I, I i did get to travel a little bit i uh visited the whole uh united states i went from miami to a little uh <laughs> more country area in uh in oklahoma so it, it helped me also uh develop as a player going both of those schools now of course uh, i wanted to ask you about you know moving over to the can-am league i mean how has the level of play been for you because you had played triple a for such a long time with the new york mets you had played for team canada at the national level you come over to the can-am league you get a shot and and, and play for team canada out of the capitals uh in 2013 i believe it was but you also you know play for uh a, a, a team in Canada in the Can-Am League and represent. Uh, I believe you're not from Quebec City, but you're from uh, the same area, I believe, and and represent that team. How does it feel to come over to the Can-Am League and and what is the um, what is the co- competition like here? Uh, it, it really depends on the nights because you you all have nights where you're facing pitchers that uh, pitch in AAA or the big leagues. And you have other other nights where it's a it's a kid that just came out of college and uh, is trying to make his way to to maybe go to affiliated ball somewhere at some point. Uh, so it really depends on uh, on the nights. But on on average, I would say it's probably probably like a like a high A uh, type uh, level. So you know it's uh it's 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 good baseball. It's you don't you don't have the same experience as you see uh, in AAA. But uh, like the depth is not as uh, as as high because you need five rookies on every team, so it, it also keeps the wheel turning. It keeps the the league uh, to the same level, and uh, but it, it's it's a very good league, and it's it's so much fun for me to play here at home. Or I'm I, like you said, I'm not from from Quebec City, but I'm from uh, close to Montreal, which is uh, about a couple hours from from Quebec City. It's just fun to be home and uh, have my family come and be able to play here in front of them before I uh, probably retire. Now, Jonathan, I wanted to backtrack a little bit. You're, you're, the guy who drafted you, Claude Pelche, had talked to us in our last segment about how he said that you could do everything, not only uh, play the outfield, the infield, but you could pitch a little bit. I'm looking at some of your you know, statistics back in the day when you were playing uh, in the Canadian Junior National Team. Uh Big numbers, a lot of stolen bases. You had a save and a 290 ERA. That's pre- you must be uh, pretty proud of that. Uh, yeah, well, I, I guess for the league, I, I had a I had a pretty good arm, so uh, that that's how I got away with it. But uh, I, I actually did get drafted uh, my second year. They I was I was listed as a as a shortstop slash pitcher. But wow. uh, yeah, I, you know, I that's something I would maybe try to do uh, in my my last year or something when I. When I'm thinking about retiring, um, but uh, I don't know. It's uh, I, I've been pitching uh, in lower levels, like like pretty much everybody yeah, has in their whole lives. But uh, no, yeah, I, I've been always uh, more of an infielder than any, anything else. And, and talk about your experience a little bit in the minor leagues, because as Dante said, you 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 had some success there, um, uh, success that that got you onto the Mets forty man roster. You played in spring training games. You, you were able to do quite a bit. But um, uh, talk a bit about your experiences there, and then maybe how you ended up transitioning to the Can Am League. Uh well. I, I never I never made it to the 40 man roster, but I, I did uh, play some games in the in spring training. Sorry about I that. mean the transition is it's more uh, that I didn't have a I didn't have another uh, contract with the Mets and I I didn't find another 
job in affiliated ball and I for me the next step was really to go back home and get a chance to play in front of my family and friends and uh that, that was a pretty easy decision I had a lot of friends that played with Quebec City uh before I came here and everything I I heard from them was that it's just it's so much more fun than than any other type of baseball that, that I've played before and it's you know what I I, I did have a blast for the past five years here just uh it's just a big family and uh you know it's it's something that you don't really uh it's a little different in the minor leagues because uh you know obviously everybody's trying to make it make it to the big leagues everybody wants to beat the next guy and it's just a little different atmosphere here in uh in independent baseball because you're you everybody's pulling the same way everybody's trying to win everybody wants to win the championship obviously guys want to go back or go to affiliated ball for the first time but uh you know th that's the way that we uh we approach the whole thing is you know uh, as long as you guys are here might as well have fun playing baseball so that's 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 how we bring it to the the new guys coming in well and it must have been uh, pretty easy at the beginning you you know you come into a team that had already won multiple championships and then you won multiple championships your first couple of years so everything's always a little easier when you're winning right Oh, absolutely, and it was, but it was actually a little bit of pressure at the same time. Sure, you know nobody wanted to get there and uh, be the team that broke the streak. Uh, you know, I I got there and they won three in a row, and uh, the, yeah, the last thing I wanted was to be on the the first team to lose in the <laughs> in the past few years, and uh, we were fortunate enough to win a couple more when I was there, and uh, yeah, our last championship was uh, 2013. And uh, yeah, no, it was. It's always it's always a lot funner too. It's easier to bring the guys to understand what we're all about when when the team's winning too. If everybody's struggling, then it's it changes the atmosphere too. Well, and and talk a bit about that because you mentioned you won championships your first two years, and your team's been very consistent um, uh, even in the period that we've been able to watch you with the Ottawa Champions in the league. Um, uh, but you haven't been able to win um, uh, the last couple years, and you know all kinds of factors go into that. But has has the feeling changed for you at all, or or do you feel like maybe they're they're you guys are grinding a bit more now because you want to get back to that? I I don't know I don't think uh, nothing has changed really it's just it's a baseball game I, I actually think the league is uh is pretty even now there's we've seen it the past two years it was uh, I mean, uh TR won in 2015 yeah. and they they clinched at the end against you guys and then last year uh, Ottawa finished fourth and won the championship so you know it's it doesn't matter really what team you're playing that day it's a pretty even league. And uh, I think that that's the main reason uh, why we, we didn't win in the past few years. We, uh, we, we had good runs. We, we had really good teams. And, uh, but at the end of the day, we, uh, we couldn't come up with the, the big win that uh, took us to the next round. Jonathan Malo of the Quebec Capitals and a former New York Mets prospect here with us on Around the Diamond. Now, I wanted to ask you about your, you know, what it was like to play. You know, as you mentioned, your twenty or so, so odd games of big league spring training, and you know, have that you know taste 
of the big leagues, not actually the big leagues, but a little bit of a taste of it in spring training, and then you know having a good chance of getting getting called up. Now I have to ask you, John, did did you come close to ever getting called up with the Mets from AAA? Uh, I actually, I, I did get the call. I uh, I was brought in the office. They said, uh, "Hey, John, you're going to New York, but they don't know yet what they're uh, if, if if they're going to activate you or not." So uh, I did pack all my stuff. I flew to New York and uh, spent the night at a hotel there. And then uh, I got a got a message saying I was going back to AAA the next day. So I don't think I can get any closer to that. But <laughs> than that, but it's uh, you know it was it was a good run. It was uh, I did have my chance. And uh, when uh, when they gave me a chance in twenty in two thousand nine, uh, start every day in AAA. Uh, I, I had a. a a rough start that year and i think if i if i do have a a better start i think i do get activated that day when i when i fly to new york and they don't even ask themselves if if uh if they want me there or not but yeah since i was struggling that year and they, they just had they had a bunch of injuries so um I, that's where i almost got called up <laughs> so i wanted to ask- I, I, guess, I guess i didn't deserve it at that time i wasn't i wasn't performing so i can't that's on me I'll never I'll be the first guy to admit that I I missed an opportunity there and it's on me I'll never blame anybody else so that's Jonathan Malo here with us on Around the Diamonds, shortstop for the Quebec Capitals. Um, I wanted to ask you about something that, you know, some of your teammates and, and friends have talked to us about on this show. You know, one of them being Jordan Leonerton, uh, Max Tissenbaum, who came on the show, had spoke about it. Eric Jelena's a good friend of yours and an ace pitcher, also your pitching coach as well, had spoke about this. But he had said that you're almost like uh, the guy who recruits everyone to come to this team. You and Scalabrini are, are the two guys <laughs> that, that go out and, and pick up these guys. And Leonerton had came on to the show and said, oh yeah, you know, I, I'm friends with Malo, and he sent me a Facebook message and said, hey, you want to come play for this team and maybe win a championship? I mean, how does it feel that you're the, you know, the expert recruiter for the <laughs> Capitals and going out and getting all these guys? Oh, yeah, well, I, it's good to get some love from the guys, but it, yeah, it's, it's actually, it's, it's a big, uh, it's a big process. It's not just me. It's not, uh, I mean, it's mainly uh, Pat Scalabrini that does all the recruiting um, with, with his coaching staff. Uh, but at the same time, we all have, uh, especially guys that have played affiliated in higher levels. We all have uh, guys that we've played with that we know that uh, they've been released. And uh, but, but yeah, it was it, it's so much easier for me uh, to point just because uh, most of the guys you're talking about, they're like like Lenny he played with Team Canada with me, and it, it's easier also since the team is in Canada to recruit Canadians. So you know, it's that's a little bit of my job when I when it comes down to it. I uh, all those Team Canada guys that I've played with, you know, if I see that they can't get a job, I think it's a great opportunity to come to Quebec City, and it's, it's a very nice city. It's a very nice crowd to play in front of, mm-hmm. and it, it's a fun team to play for. So uh, it, it's not too hard for me to sell to those guys, and it's it's always good to have friends to come play with you. It it makes it a lot more fun and like we said you know we've won some championships a little bit because of that because the, the team chemistry is so much better than than we've we've had in the past if we if we played affiliated ball or not but it's just a big family and guys are actually rooting for one another they're not they're not trying to just beat the next guy just and, and that that comes from just having your friends around you and you know picking the right guys well you speak about the quebec capitals maybe a little hashtag team canada going on there Exactly. We we actually did take a picture in uh, in Ottawa. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, 
Jim Pablo was there. And yeah. he, I didn't realize that, that we had like, I think it was like eight guys or nine guys that at some point uh, put the Team Canada uniform, whether it was the, the junior national team or the senior national team. We uh, we had a big crew, and then we had, uh, on the other side, he had uh, Sebastian Boucher. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if they had other Yeah, uh, we have uh, Andrew Cooper. Guys, but... Andrew. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, so we got two Canadians. So maybe we got to up our game a little bit in terms of some getting getting some Canadian contact with, you know, Boucher having, you know, a good a good amount of experience as well. How Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe Boucher needs to learn from Jonathan about a little bit of recruiting action and, <laughs> and get some guys, uh, some more guys in here. I I just have a quick question for you, Jonathan, um, about yeah. your your off seasons, um, uh, because you know off season in Canada is a, a little more difficult than for the guys who who head back to Florida. Um, I, I, we know that even today you were you're working with baseball camps, things like that. So what does your your summer consist of, and and maybe how often do you do you work out? Do you do you work on your swing things like that in the winter time you said yeah yeah well it, it's actually it, it's it's a lot different uh now you know when i was in affiliated ball i uh I, I i did work a little bit but i was i was working out like all my energy was more about working out and and working on my baseball stuff uh now you know i'm getting a little older and uh <laughs> the focus is a little more towards uh either coaching or I mean working and uh not as much uh, with baseball but I I do work with baseball so at the, so at the same time I, I always I'll end up taking some swings I'll take I'll end up taking ground balls throwing a little bit but everything is indoor in the winter because we don't we don't have any uh actually we have a big project that just came up with uh at the at the stadium right. here where there's going to be a dome starting next year so that's going to be a big plus for the for baseball in Quebec City um, but yeah, you know, it's just a different, uh, I'm getting older. I, I gotta, I gotta think about working a little bit more than, uh, than, uh, working out on my, uh, on baseball. So it, it's a little different now, but, uh, we always have, we have facilities where we can yeah. get all the work done. It's, uh, of course, it's not as big as a, a full baseball field, but it's, uh, it's good enough where we can, we can get all the work done inside. Well, you talk about facilities and you talk about doing some work down with the Quebec Capitals and the stadium going on. What's going on with that? You guys are making a indoor stadium. It's going to be the first minor league baseball park to, to be uh, indoors. How's that process like? And, and from a player standpoint, um, what do you think of the whole situation and making an indoor uh, ballpark? Well, well, it's, a, it's only going to be indoor for the for the winter. Oh, okay. During the summer, it's the, the, the stadium doesn't change at all. It's the... It's the same old uh, Stade Municipal, which is going to be now the Stade Canac, and oh, okay. uh, but but it's it's the winter time that they there's a you know I I didn't work on the project, but what I've seen is that the dome covers uh, most of the field. It makes it a little bit smaller, but it's big enough for uh, kids up to probably like uh, 14 or 15 to play baseball games there. So uh, the, the 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 baseball program here, the school uh, is gonna, is going to move there next year so it's uh it's it's a pretty big uh big announcement it should be pretty interesting i can't wait to see what it what it looks like at the end 
Uh, now, we've been talking a bit uh, about baseball in Canada, and of course, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, although their season uh, I don't think ended the way they wanted it to, uh, had a great run. And whenever whenever the playoffs start, even late in September, you really see um, you see it here in Ottawa, but Canada really gets swept up by kind of Blue Jays fever. But I always wonder if you kind of get that same thing in French Canada. Like, obviously, they're going to be excited for the Blue Jays, but it does. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It it has grown so much in the past uh, past few years. Uh, not gonna lie, uh, a lot of people were still bummed with the uh, from the Expos. Well, and, and that's what I was gonna ask if that kind of that kind of malaise about the Expos still existed. That maybe people don't get as into the Blue Jays. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people here probably wouldn't be as uh, as big of Blue Jays fans if the Expos were still here. Uh, you know, it, it, they they've had uh, runs last year that it was it was hard not to root for them. So uh, I've seen it in bars, that's something or restaurants. That's something that you've never seen before, except for like a Montreal Canadiens hockey game. Mm-hmm. Like people went to the, to the pubs or whatever to to watch the baseball games, and and, and they were actually pretty loud in place. I, I was very surprised last year when uh, when uh, the, the Jays made it to the playoffs, and I. Went with a few friends to watch the game. The only ones because we were baseball players or baseball fans to watch the game, and people uh, cheer and play. So it's fun to see, and uh, I think it helps also with the with the kids. Uh, Everybody's watching the G's now. It's it's gotten a lot bigger than uh, than what we. I know the I know the uh, the inscriptions the uh, the subscriptions for the for baseball everywhere uh, they've they've gone a lot higher in the past couple of years and it's probably because of the help of the Blue Jays for the, for the past two years. Well, there you have it, Jonathan Malo, shortstop infielder for the Quebec Capitals, uh, here with us on Around the Diamond. Listen, thanks for taking the time and. Uh, well, I was going to say go Jays go, but uh, go Gatineau <laughs> Olympique. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan, and uh, and we'll see you when the new season starts. Hey, uh, Tony says hi, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hi, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let him know when I uh, play PS4 of him tonight. There you go. <laughs> All right. That was Jonathan Malo of the Quebec Capitals, formerly played with the New York Mets system, was a top prospect there, uh, almost a 40-man roster guy, and almost played in the big leagues uh, with the Mets. So definitely uh, a star here in Canada in terms of uh, Canadian uh, content and was an excellent guy to talk to in an excellent uh, interview here on Around the Diamond. But that's going to wrap up uh, the October 22nd edition of Around the Diamond. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow myself on Twitter uh, for all information going on with the show and some future guests, Diamond underscore Dante. Check out my SoundCloud, Diamond Dante Audio, for future and past episodes. Thank you so much for listening to the October 22nd edition of Around the Diamond. We'll see you next week.